question comes today, where do you even begin? Where do you even start? Jesus Christ is eternal. He's the creator. And he offers life more abundant, eternal, and free. You would think that no one would struggle with that. You, you would think that absolutely no one would have a difficulty with that. Life more abundant, eternal, and free. Matter of fact, when Jesus came, when Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem in a manger, the reason he came was to bring life. But not just any life. He came to bring a life that was abundant, it was eternal, it was free. It had a peace that passes all understanding. As a matter of fact, it was a life that offered joy, unspeakable and full of glory. But during Jesus' earthly ministry, people struggled to comprehend. I mean, just... Just to comprehend, just to understand the kind of life that Jesus offered. And let me tell you why. Because it cut against the grain. It cut against the culture. It, it cut against everything that you've ever been told concerning life. Matter of fact, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16... I just want to highlight a couple of things that Jesus said during his earthly ministry that people struggled with. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 and verse 26. As you move to this portion of Matthew 16, one of the things that Jesus is dealing with, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, here's, what's, here, here's what it's going to cost. Here, here's, what it's, here's what it's going to take. Verse 25 and verse 26 of Matthew 16, I want you to notice what Jesus says. He said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Now that just sounds, okay, that just sounds totally, uh, totally contrary Here's what culture teaches today. If you want life, you got to go get it. And matter of fact, you might as well get all you can get while the getting's good. Matter of fact, you, you, need to, you need to lay your hands on everything that you can lay your hands on. Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, now notice this, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will find it. So giving up of, of my life for him 
says, and I'll find it, verse 26, for what will it profit a man? So what profit is there if you should gain the whole entire world? Matter of fact, if you, if you could some way just accumulate all that the world has to, to offer to you. He said, what profit is there if a man should gain the whole world, and notice the next part of verse 26, and forfeit his own soul? Then the last part of verse 26, or what will a man, notice this, in other words, what will you give in exchange for your soul? That that's eternal. See, here's here's what we miss out. You're going to live for all of eternity. Your soul will live for all of eternity. But here's the caveat. Where? That's what Jesus come to bring. When he was born in the manger, that's what he brought. He brought a life that was abundant, a life that was eternal, and a life that was free. And matter of fact, Jesus himself said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from the bondage, free from the yoke that sits over all of mankind, that sits over all of humankind. That's what it is. And and think about this with me for just a moment. People struggled to comprehend the kind of life that Jesus offered. And are you ready for this? People still do today. They still do today. Because it boils, it boils down to this. In other words, so, so I've got to give up everything? That's not what he said. You mean I've got to give up everything in this apartment? That's not what he said. We still live life. But there's a difference. No longer are we seated on the throne of our lives, but at some point in time we come to the place where he's seated on the throne of our life and not ourselves. That's what he meant. So whoever's willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. In other words, what do you do with Jesus Christ? And let me just say this as well. People who want his works but not his words... People who want his works, but not his word, can never share his life. Can never. Here was, the, here was one of the difficulties that Jesus had. They all wanted the signs, but not the word. Oh, they, they, they wanted to see all the signs. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. Greatest sign that was ever given was when Jesus Christ was born in the city of Bethlehem. So when we consider the magnitude of what Jesus is asking, it cuts against the grain of culture. It cuts against the grain of everything we've ever been told. Turn with me to John chapter 3. I'll spend most of my time in John chapter 3. We looked at John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 10. Let me tell you something. In John's letter, he made the differentiation between darkness and the light. Walking in darkness, if you walk in darkness, the scripture says, if you continually walk in darkness, then there's something wrong. 
If you claim that you have fellowship with the light, but you still walk in darkness, something's wrong. When we consider the light and the magnitude of the light, John chapter 3, I know that's a very familiar passage of Scripture. You know what often gets to me is more people are more concerned about why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night than what Jesus actually told him. The emphasis here is, on, is not on what time he came to Jesus. What you need to take a look at is the discourse that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus. And understanding really who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was not just some ordinary person. See, this life that Jesus spoke of during his earthly ministry... And it's the same life that the scripture speaks of today is so contrary to the thinking of the world. And I will tell you what, I honestly believe that's why more people struggle with it than anything else. Because it's contrary to the world. John chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 3. Notice what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. That, that word now, there's an interesting word because in the, in, in the Greek, what it does is it connects you back to what he just finished in chapter 2. If you look at the closing verses of John chapter number 2, verse 24 and verse 25, I want you to notice what it says. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man, now there was a man. And oh, by the way, his name was Nicodemus. Let me share something with you. He's not just an ordinary person, not Nicodemus. As a matter of fact, here's who he was. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man. I want you to notice how many times. Now there was a man. Now look in verse number two. This man. Jesus just finished a conversation about man in, in the last part of chapter two. Here's the thing. Jesus knows you. He knows who you are. He knows everything that's inside of you. When Nicodemus came to see Jesus by night, Jesus already knew where Nicodemus was. Let me tell you something. Here's one of the things is, is I've been going through all of this and thinking about this time of the year and thinking about, you know, we always hear these, generally most of the time it's always the same. We go through the same kind of accounts and messages of of the manger scene and, and, and Bethlehem and all of those things. But I want to get to the crux of the issue. I said this year, God help me get to the crux of the issue. Hey, the manger was important. Him being born in Bethlehem fulfills scripture. I, I know all, I get all of that. But my dear friend, listen to me. If that's all you know about this time of the year and you have never met the one born in Bethlehem personally, you have nothing but knowledge. There's no relationship there. The most important thing that you'll get out of this time of the year is whether or not there is a relationship between you and Jesus Christ. It was important enough for Jesus 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, I want you to notice how he refers to Jesus. He refers to him as rabbi or teacher. Nicodemus knew something was different about him. There had to be. Even in spite of all the signs and everything. Because I want you to notice what he says. He said, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus knew something was different. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that word born, that word again is an interesting word. The Greek word there is a nothing, and here's what it means. It means born from above. So Jesus looks at Nicodemus and said, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I can tell you right now, Nicodemus struggled with that. He struggled with it. As far as Jewish law was concerned, Nicodemus had been through everything that was required by the law for him to be where he was in his standing. So this phrase of being born again, what else is there? What, what, else, what, what other step is necessary for me to be born and from above? To be born again? Sure, he struggled with it. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and tells him, and matter of fact, and Jesus tells him, Jesus doesn't even... There's no long rendition. If you don't see anything about John 3, here's what I want you to see from Jesus himself immediately. What does he tell Nicodemus? Verse 3, he said to him, right off the bat, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Boom. Right to the point. My dear friend, please listen to me today. If you've not been born again by the Spirit of God, born from above by the Spirit of God, you will not see the kingdom of God. You won't. You know, what's, what, I guess what's more profound to me is those who will have heard and had the knowledge of who he was, but never had the relationship with him and leave this life and wind up eternally separated from him. My dear friend, it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just understanding that he was born in Bethlehem. It's more than understanding that he came to, to die on a cross, and, and we all know that. But my dear friend, all of those, all of that knowledge at some point in time, as Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you, if anybody knew the Scripture, it was Nicodemus. Who was he? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher and an official. And he lived by strict religious rules. But you ready for this? But he suffered from profound spiritual blindness. 
But hold on a minute. I make that statement, though, to say this. I think there was a little flicker of light there from Nicodemus. You say, why do you say that? Because of what he said earlier. There's no way that somebody could do the things you've done unless God was with him. So, so Nicodemus knew something was different about him. But he, was, but he was having difficulty. He was struggling with it. You see, all human beings, every, every human being, all human beings have experienced natural birth on earth. If you expect to spend eternity with God then you must experience a supernatural birth from above. Look at the next verse. Nicodemus said to him, here it comes. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But notice in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. But I love his next statement. Don't be amazed, Nicodemus. Please listen to me. You must be born again. Folks, please listen to me this morning. I don't care who you are. I, I, I don't care from where you hail from. I don't care how long you've been in church. Please listen to me. You must be born again. That's what this time of the year ought for us. That ought to be the constant, that ought to be the constant concentration of this time of the year. You must be born again. Well, how does that happen? Well, let me share something with you. Jesus responded to Nicodemus by going directly to the issue. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, here, I'm telling you, he struggled with it. I, I can tell you, I, I, can just, I can just about imagine what's going on in Nicodemus' mind. How can these things be? How can these things be? See, he's, he, he's trying to define it over here from what he knows how to define it. But Jesus is talking to him from a supernatural, spiritual side. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, here it comes. Number one, you do not understand, do you, Nicodemus? Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? He said, You're the teacher of Israel. You're not just some ordinary. You're, you're a teacher of Israel. You're a Pharisee. You know the law. You know the prophets. Matter of fact, you read them. You study them. How is it, Nicodemus, that you don't understand? Well, verse number 11, here comes the next one. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you don't, and you do not accept our testimony. You don't accept our testimony. Then number three is down in verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Nicodemus, how will you believe? You don't understand? Don't accept? So how, how do you believe? John chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 21 The whole emphasis in verse 14 through verse 21 is on believing. So Jesus is going to share with him from verse 14 on through verse 21, believing. Notice verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will Whoever, that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Nicodemus would have been very familiar with that because it comes out of Numbers chapter 21. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, bitten by the serpent, Nicodemus would have known that. Verse 16. Boy, this is one. You know, I'm honestly, I'm honestly afraid this verse has become so familiar and so misused that we absolutely miss it. John 3.16, for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I love this next part. That whoever, I don't care who you are, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. There's more, listen, there is more truth in that one verse. For God, God doesn't have to prove who he is. Don't have to justify his existence or anything else for God. Just like in the beginning, God. Just like you have in John chapter number one, in the beginning was God. And I love that phrase, but God. Doesn't have to define who he is. It says, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The one standing in front of you, Nicodemus, that's who I am. Whoever believes in him and me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the, here it comes, that the light has come into the world. John's first letter, speaking of the light versus the darkness. John chapter 1, in the gospel of John, speaking of the light, that's who he is standing in front of Nicodemus. Are you ready for this? Standing in front of Nicodemus in the, in the darkness of the night stood the very light of God. Whew. 
You see that? Do you see it? And this is the judgment, verse 19, that the light has come into the world. And uh, get ready for it. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because they like the dark. How many of y'all grew up liking the dark? How many of y'all grew up absolutely hating the dark? How many of you, okay, here it comes. How many of you wouldn't sleep in your own bed at night because it was dark? Uh, Don't raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. Something about darkness. But you know something? You ever wondered why? You know, we like it when the lights are turned down low. It gets a little dark. And we think nobody can see what's going on. I hate to tell you this, but the darkness will never expel the light. Why? It's always there. Let me tell you, this just gets gooder and gooder. (laughs) Verse 20. Here it comes. For everyone, for everyone who does evil, everyone who does evil, what? Hates the light. Do you see that? Hates the light. And does not come to the light for fear. Uh Uh-oh, here it comes. That his deeds will be what? Exposed. That his deeds will be exposed. I hate to tell you this. They already are. See, God already knows. God already knows your heart. And then verse 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So what does all this mean? I want to give you three quick points this morning. That was all introduction to these three points. Number one, please understand this. Salvation comes through faith. Salvation comes through faith. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Doesn't matter who, which family you're born into. Doesn't matter which college you went to. Doesn't matter how many contracts you've signed. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter if your parents are buried in the cemetery out behind the church. It does not matter how many, how many church roles you've put your name upon. At the end of the day, none of that matters. Matter of fact, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, many of us know that passage of Scripture from heart. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. Salvation comes through faith. So Jesus looking at Nicodemus saying, You must be born again or you must be born from above. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's required in that belief? Number one is faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and verse 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. At the end of the day, I hate to tell you, salvation is a God thing. And man has a choice to either accept it or reject it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the scripture says. By faith, salvation comes through faith. 
That's, that's the only method. That's the only try. That's the only way. By faith in who? By faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for us. And that he rose again the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I today. It's called the gospel. Number two. So what is the evidence? The evidence of salvation is the witness of the Spirit within us. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. Evidence of salvation is the witness of the Spirit within us. Very clear, very plain. Coming out of Romans chapter 8. I want you to notice what it says. However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit... Here's how it's determined if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if, here it comes, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You see, evidence of salvation is the witness of the Spirit within. Romans chapter 8 also says this, his Spirit bears witness with my Spirit that I know that I belong to him. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the evidence of salvation. It's the witness of the Spirit within our lives. Matter of fact, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our lives as we live every day. And number three. I'm going to tell you something. I love this one. I love all of it, but this one just, okay. This is the most amazing passage of Scripture to me. Number three, the Holy Spirit enters your life when you believe. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to notice with me verse 11 down through verse 14. Verse 11, also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, speaking to believers after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, notice what it says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. Guess what he did? He gave us the earnest of our inheritance. Until the day that our redemption will be complete. See, he's going to return to gather his bride. 
He is going to return. The Father is going to send the Son to come and bring his possession home. What, know you not that you've been bought with a price? The blood of Jesus Christ himself. You're no longer yours. You belong to him. That will be evident in our lives every day. It's called the light. Capital L-I-G-H-T, the light. And this light came into a dark world. Jesus Christ born in the city of Bethlehem. There was no room. It was the end of the day. Star shining bright. This light was born into a world of darkness. Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cloak of darkness. And that light, the light of Jesus Christ shone brightly through the dark. Verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Are you ready for this? To the praise of his glory. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's what he brought. Jesus tells Nicodemus, but Nicodemus... You'll never have that life until you've been born from above. Until you've been born from above by the Spirit of God, you'll not, you'll not experience that life. Let me say this this morning to you. It is not possible. It is, it is not possible to be neutral toward Jesus Christ. It's not. It is not possible to be neutral toward Jesus Christ. Listen to me. He will either be hated or loved, one of the two. There is no neutral ground with him. You can't say, well, maybe. Well, well there, there's a possibility. No, you either belong to him or you don't. He's either love or he's hated. That's, that's, the, that, that's, that's where it is. You can't be neutral with him. Because if you don't accept him, you reject him. But unfortunately today, here's what it boils down to. The change begins with a decision. This new birth, please listen to me, this new birth is not something we claim. It is something we receive. It's not something we claim, it's something we receive. So do me a favor. Answer these questions this morning yourself. And they're not, they're not three different questions. Matter of fact, it's the very same three things that Jesus confronted Nicodemus with. Are you ready? Number one, do you understand? 
Here's what he said to Nicodemus. Remember what he said to Nicodemus? He says, you don't understand, Nicodemus? My question to you is, do you understand? Number two, have you accepted? Have you accepted? My question to you is, what in the world is holding you back? What is it that is so difficult about this more abundant life? It's eternal. It's freeing. You know, what, what, here, Satan wants you to believe this morning that everything is perfectly good with you. If you're here sitting in this auditorium this morning, you're not a believer, here's what Satan wants you to think. Everything's, I'm good. I'm good where I am. Please listen to me. You can't be neutral with Jesus. Doesn't work that way. Well, I believe, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe who he is. Not enough. It's not enough just to believe. See, the scripture says that even Satan believes and he trembles. Satan knew who Jesus was. The demons, the demons know who he is. You see, they thought it was all over on the cross of Calvary. They thought it was finished. He's, he's going to die there and it's all over. But I love Paul Harvey. Now for the rest of the story. You see, darkness came on Friday, but the light come on Sunday. And then number three. I'm just going to ask you. Will you believe? Will you believe? Will you open your heart to the Holy Spirit and believe? The greatest gift that has ever been given is available for you to receive. Are you ready for this? And it doesn't cost you anything. But to say no to the darkness and say yes to the light. So what will you do with him today? Walk out of this auditorium the same way you came in? Or will you walk out today with life more abundant?